Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. And when my folks lived in Northboro, um, my dad was the pastor at Church, in the, Church of the Nativity um, for, I think, 12-ish years. And now he's in Worcester. My mom is with the Lord. Um, but it's just fun to be back in this area. So, all right, I want to begin by talking about um, unrequited love. So have any of you ever experienced unrequited love where you <laughs> love somebody and it's just not returned? Yes. <laughs> so when I was uh, 12, I was in middle school, I went to this family camp in Michigan and there was a boy there that I really liked. And I don't think it was returned. Anyway, the reason that I know this is because um, this was back when, um, you know, we didn't have email, we didn't have social media or cell phones. So the only way you could really keep in touch was to write letters. So I had this one picture of this kid from camp that I, you know, developed on a, from a roll of film and hung it up in my locker. And I, I wrote him a letter and, you know, put it in the mail and waited for a response. And I got no response. And then I, I had this creeping thought in my head, well, what if the letter got lost? You know, what if what if it fell out of the mailbox or what if it got dropped? So I wrote another letter and put it in the mail and sent it and waited. I got no response. And I thought, well, he must not be getting my letters. So I just kept, I kept writing to him all year. I, I don't know how many letters I sent, but I just kept writing to him. And I never got a response. And um, the next summer, we went back to camp, and I thought, "Well, has he been getting them at all? How you know? Maybe he didn't get any of my letters. Maybe I had the wrong address." And I ran into his brother first, who said, "Oh, it's little Miss Pen Pal." <laughs> and I just thought, "Oh no, he had been getting all of my letters, but uh, had not returned a single one of them." It was a very one-sided relationship, uh, a very one-sided, I'm pouring out my heart and soul in these letters. He's certainly reading all of them and uh, not sending anything back. It's very cringy to even like tell that story. Uh, but if we're honest, I think sometimes um, our relationship with God can be like my letter writing to this boy, right? Just one-sided. We're the ones doing all the communication pouring our hearts out, talking to God. And this is where the metaphor breaks down. It's not that God isn't responding to us. It's that we're not giving him a chance to speak back or to reply. We're doing all the talking. It's a one-sided relationship. And, um, you know, the impact, though, uh, whether or not, you know, it's not that God isn't replying. It's that we're not listening. The impact is remarkably similar to the impact of what happened to me at age 12. It's a relationship that really isn't a relationship because it's it lacks intimacy. There's absolutely no intimacy in a relationship that has one-sided communication. And so that is what I want to talk about today is how do we grow in our intimacy with God by pursuing a relationship that really is marked by two-way back-and-forth communication. Human beings were designed for intimacy with God, to experience 
a love and an affection and a tenderness and a closeness that many of us kind of settle for something less than that. And so I want to talk about that, um, the desire and the ability to hear God's voice and to have that back and forth communication as a foundation of intimacy. So first, um, I just want to talk about why hearing God's voice and learning to, to sort of have this back and forth kind of conversation with God in prayer, why this matters. Why should we care about this? And I know that I am speaking to a vineyard church, so I know that this is not, I'm not speaking a foreign language, but I do want to just help us to ground this idea in scripture. Like, why does this matter? So first of all, it matters because it's our birthright as believers to hear God's voice and to have this kind of communication with God. So sometimes people who um, really hear from the Lord often and easily and frequently, they can talk about their relationship with God in a way that um, it's like they can't even explain it because they're so intuitive. It, it just comes so intuitively to them. So my husband, Greg, is like this. And when I met Greg, when he was, um, you know, 23, uh, the way that he talked about Jesus, it was like Jesus was uh, his fourth roommate. It was like just this kind of intimacy with Jesus that honestly really is one of the things that drew me to him in the first place. But he would talk about Jesus like, Jesus and I were hanging out the other day. Jesus told me this the other day, like, oh, I got to talk to Jesus about this. It was just so casual and natural um, and intuitive. And there's a way that people like that who kind of have that really intimate relationship with, with God, we can start to think, well, there's just something really special about Greg and people like Greg, right? Like they're just really, they're just really special. They're really spiritual, whatever it is that we kind of assign that. But we sort of say, well, there's some people who can hear from God like that or have that kind of connection with God. And, and then maybe I can't, but Scripture is really clear. Actually, any believer has that ability to hear God's voice and to have that kind of connection. Um, John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep, not my special sheep or my gifted sheep or my smart sheep, my sheep hear my voice. And the implication there is that the only qualification for being able to hear God's voice and have that kind of intimate two-way back and forth connection is that we belong to Jesus. That's the only qualification. My sheep hear my voice. We belong to Jesus. We can hear God's voice. So it's part of our birthright as believers. Secondly, scripture says that God's voice is what sustains and nourishes us. It feeds us. So in, um, in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted in the desert, Matthew 4, 4, he says this, he says, and you know, you probably know this verse, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And in Greek, there are two words for word. Okay. Two words for word. One um, is logos, which is, um, is sort of the timeless, enduring, eternal word of God. So that's you know, the, the scriptures, um, the logos. And it's also when, um, when Jesus is, you know, referred to as the word, that's the, 
the word that is used, logos, um, because Jesus is the timeless, eternal revelation of God. But the other word for word is rhema. And rhema is this timely, fresh utterance, the spoken word. And that's the word that Jesus uses in Mar- in Matthew 4.4. 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word there is rhema, the fresh, timely utterance from God's mouth. And so Jesus is saying that true sustenance and survival comes not just from the provision of God's hand by the things that he gives us like food and bread, right? But from the utterance from his mouth, from his word. And um, when Jesus is uh, talking about this, so what's really interesting is as Matthew is like writing this down and first century hearers would be hearing this, they're hearing this story of Jesus being tempted in the desert wilderness for 40 days. And he's talking about bread and sustenance in the desert. What's going to come to mind for these first century Jewish hearers when they when Jesus is they're talking about Jesus being tempted for 40 days in the desert wilderness and we're talking about bread and sustenance they're going to be thinking about Israel who was wandering in the desert wilderness for 40 years and they were fed by God with bread from heaven called manna and so every day God would provide bread that fell on the ground like dew And here's the thing about manna. Manna, they had to go out every day to get manna. They couldn't store it up. They tried, but when they stored it up for the next day, it would spoil. And so this was God's way of teaching them. You got to depend on me every single day. You can't store this up. You got to trust me that tomorrow the manna is going to be there. And that's the same way that it is with the rhema of God. We have a tendency and a temptation to store up the things that God has told us, that the revelations that he's given us, the the work that he's done in our life, to store that up and say, that's enough. Um, I'm going to store that up and I don't need to return for another utterance tomorrow because I have this thing that happened in the past. But we know the dangers of depending on something that God did in the past, it doesn't sustain us daily, right? So there's these moments that um, in our life, you know, God uses these moments that continue to bear fruit into the future. But what um, the connection that, that the hearers are probably making here when Jesus is saying that uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by the rhema of God is that we need to continue to come, just like the Israelites came for manna, we need to continue to come every single day for a fresh rhema, for something timely, for something for today. And again, it's not that these things that God does that are sort of pillars in our life aren't important and carry us forward, but that there's something fresh for today. We don't want to depend on a stale word in the past. We want to continue to come for a fresh word, to keep seeking God for that rhema. So hearing God's voice is part of our birthright. Hearing God's voice is what sustains and nourishes us for each new day for today. And then thirdly, 
Hearing God's voice is uh, directly connected and pretty critical to walking in spiritual authority in the world. So in 2008, my husband and I uh, were working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship College Ministry here in New England, and we took a group of American students to um, Uganda to work with a group of Ugandan students. And it was this missions project that was um, really trying to honor, okay, we don't want to be the Americans coming in and deciding what we're going to do. So we're going to submit to this Ugandan student group and say, you guys put together a missions project, whatever you want, and we will submit to your leadership and authority. We're not going to come in with our own agenda which, you know, Americans love to come and like build houses or whatever, right? And uh, maybe that's not what you need. So you tell us what you'd like us to do and we'll submit to whatever you think. And so there were 20 American students and 20 Ugandan students. And um, this is what they wanted to do for the mission trip. They, we were um, in the capital city, but up in the northern part of Uganda, it was an active war zone in 2008. And they're like, we were, we're going to go there. And... Um, there's an IDP camp, an internally displaced persons camp, and we're going to do hut-to-hut evangelism in that camp. We're going to go preach the gospel. We're going to cast out demons. We're going to heal sick people, and we're going to have these evangelistic rallies and call people to faith. And the American students were terrified. Like, I thought we were going to build a house or, like, paint something. <laughs> what do you mean we're going to go into an active war zone and do evangelism? Like, what do you mean? And um, so every day we would get on this bus and we'd pair up one American student with one Ugandan student and literally go around. Uh, you know, there were these huts in the internally displaced persons camp, go hut to hut, share the gospel, pray for healing. There were demons that manifested, cast out demons, et cetera, et cetera. The American students were like deers in the headlights, just like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? While the Ugandan students just preach the gospel. They laid their hands on people and people were healed. They cast out demons. It was just incredible. And so Greg and I, that was, it actually began a journey for us of asking, why do we not see that same level of spiritual authority in American students that we that we work with? And there were lots of, you know, sort of ivory tower theories about well, the spirituality of the Ugandan culture, the desperation of life in a war zone, blah, blah, blah. No, <laughs> it's that our American students were not walking in the kind of spiritual authority that these Ugandan students were. So pause and hold that thought because I'll tell you where, um, where I think that came from in just a minute. But I want to talk about spiritual authority. So one simple definition of spiritual authority is the right to make use of God's power on earth the right to make use of God's power. So from scripture, we know that all power and authority belong to God and were given to Jesus. Throughout the gospels, Jesus invited his followers to share in his ministry, to do what he did. So they preached the gospel, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, right? They called people to repentance, And after Jesus ascended into heaven at Pentecost, he sent his spirit and empowered the church who began to carry out Jesus's ministry from there as Jesus is seated on the throne in heaven. So ordinary humans empowered by the spirit now have the right 
to exercise God's power on earth when they're submitted to his will and coming under his authority. So think about how um, earthly authority works, right? So a 12-year-old bus monitor has the right to write up a fellow student because she is under the authority of the school, right? And so people recognize her authority, even though she's just a peer, she's just 12 years old, but she's coming under the authority of the school. And so her connection to that authority matters. And the same, it's the same with spiritual authority. In certain situations, disciples of Jesus are given the right to exercise God's power on earth. And isn't that what we want, right? To be able to walk in spiritual authority, to be able to pray boldly, to exercise our spiritual gifts with confidence, to pray for healing and see healing. We want to be able to walk in that authority. And this is where this connects with hearing God's voice. So where does our spiritual authority come from? Well, this is a question that people often asked about Jesus when he was ministering and casting out demons and healing sick, right? Where does his authority come from? The Pharisees often wondered this. And in John 5, 19, Jesus tells them, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father's his father doing. So why did Jesus have so much spiritual authority? Because he was connected to the Father. He listened for the Father's voice and he did whatever the Father told him to do. As Jesus told his disciples the night before he died, the same principle applies to us. He says this in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, Back to the Ugandan students. So we're just wondering, like, how? How how are they walking in this kind of authority? Well, here's what would happen at the end of the day. The American students, kind of overwhelmed and exhausted and maybe a little traumatized, would just crawl back and they would crawl to bed, like, good night. The Ugandan students went to the prayer room and stayed up for hours praying Their authority came from this intimate connection with God. They listened for the father's voice and they did whatever the father told them to. So in the morning when they, we woke up, they got less sleep than we did. But when demons started manifesting in the camps, these students exercising their spiritual authority cast them out boldly. When people needed to be called to faith, these students got on the microphone. The American staff even were like, what do we do? These students, because of their intimate connection with God, were walking in a level of spiritual authority that we had never seen or experienced. And so there is this connection between the ability to hear God's voice and to walk in spiritual authority. So why does hearing God's voice matter? Because it's part of our birthright. Because um, because this is, uh, what was my second point? Sorry, it sustains and it nourishes us. And then because it is um, intimately connected with our ability to exercise spiritual authority, to walk in the giftedness that God is calling us to exercise for his kingdom. So um, how do we hear God's voice? How do we go about doing this? And I recognize, again, speaking in a vineyard church, that many of you are 
well acquainted with hearing God's voice. So this may not be novel to you. However, I do also do uh, in the seminar that I'll do later, do a lot of training with parents about how do we help our kids to grow up with a faith that lasts. And one of the key things that I think we need to lean into is helping our kids to discern and to hear the voice of God. So much of what happens in Western Sunday school, youth group, et cetera, is information. Kids are learning about God and they're not learning to hear God's voice. And I think kids, kids can hear God's voice. They can communicate with the father even before they're verbal, right? And so part of what we need to, to lean into here is learning to apply what we know about how to hear God's voice to our little, little ones. So I want to just um, briefly talk about just a simple way uh, to hear God's voice. So the first way, obviously, is through Scripture. Scripture is the best and the, the kind of most tested way to hear God's voice. But the other way that we hear God's voice is through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. When Jesus ascended... After his resurrection, he left, you know, the earthly realm for the heavenly realm. Um, he gave his followers on earth the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I know you guys are in a series on the Holy Spirit right now. That gift came at Pentecost. And on the night before Jesus died, he's talking with the disciples about the future and that he's going to leave them. And he tells them, it's going to be better for you that I go because I'm going to give you the Spirit. And that seems a little weird on face value. Like, why would it be good for Jesus to go? Why would it be better? Well, up until that moment, God's presence on earth was contained, right, either in, in a physical place like the temple or in Jesus, one human being's body. That's where God's presence is, in one human being. And um, Greg, my husband, who some of you um, got to spend a little time with over the weekend, Greg is kind of, um, he's kind of a nerd. Okay. Like he's just really good at math and science and can remember everything from junior high, you know, biology and whatever. Anyway, um, he actually did the math on this. Okay. So for, if there's 8 billion people in the world and there's one Jesus every year, if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit never came and Jesus is just continues to be here, uh, every human being in the world would have three milliseconds with Jesus per year. Apparently, it takes seven milliseconds to snap your fingers. So every human being would be entitled to three milliseconds of Jesus' time per year. That's not very much, right? So when Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that I can send my spirit, part of that is that we can have constant access, constant connection to God rather than only being able to uh, be intimate with God when we're in Jesus's presence, which again, if there's 8 billion people in the world, we get three milliseconds per year. So um, the spirit, the spirit is going to be good for them. The Holy Spirit is described as a helper, a counselor, the person of the Trinity that fills and empower us, empowers us to minister in God's power. And it's also the person of the Trinity who helps us to know God and to understand the truth about God. So just a few scriptures uh, here. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is saying that. John 15, 26, the Spirit will testify about me. This conversation goes on for several chapters. 
John 16, 13. The spirit will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit helps us to know God and helps us to encounter God. N.T. Wright, author and theologian, says this about this passage where Jesus is talking about the Spirit. It says, part of the job of the Spirit, the Helper, will be to lead the disciples into all truth. The Spirit will remind them of what Jesus already said to them. The Spirit will also guide them, nudging their minds and imaginations into ways of knowing and things to know that Jesus would like to have said but couldn't at the time. Nudging their minds and imagination. So I want you to hold on to that phrase, nudging their minds and imagination. That's a way, it's just a beautiful way to describe how the Spirit teaches us about God and reveals the truth of God to our hearts, nudges our minds and imaginations. Sometimes it's, you know, it's possible God will speak with an audible voice, but oftentimes it's more that he is nudging our minds and imaginations to understand God's truth. So I want to share just a fun little discovery that I made as I was studying a psalm um, that really kind of illustrates this idea of God nudging our hearts and imagination, the Holy Spirit doing that. So this is from Psalm 27.8. You can put this up on the screen. So Psalm 27.8 says in the ESV, which is a well-respected translation of scripture, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Another well-respected translation of scripture, the NIV says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. So let's put these side by side. Next slide. What's really interesting here is the speaker is different in each of these translations. Again, these are two very well-respected translations and many other translations. They kind of line up on one camp or the other. Who's speaking? Is God saying, seek my face? Or is my heart saying, seek your, seek his face? Right? That's a pretty big difference. Who's speaking, God or my heart? And I couldn't quite make sense of that. That feels like it would be very obvious in Hebrew, right? Like, who is speaking? You have said, seek my face. Or my heart says, seek his face. Well, if you go to the Hebrew and you just do a Literal translation, word by word, this is what it actually says. On your behalf, my heart said, seek my face. So who's speaking, God or my heart? Yes. They are both speaking. My heart is speaking with God's voice in God's words. On your behalf, my heart said in God's words. So you put quotes around that. Seek my face. God is speaking from within our own hearts, the Holy Spirit nudges our minds and imaginations to know God. And that idea, which I have believed my whole life, I just see that so rooted in that particular passage of scripture. Who's speaking, God or my heart? Yes. So I just want to share really briefly as I close, um, just one um, really tangible uh, way 
to listen for the voice of God. And again, this is something I do with kids. Um, this is a practice that I love for myself, but I think it's accessible even to children as young as three and four. Um, and this is a practice that comes from Mark Verkler in a book called The Four Keys, Four Keys of Hearing God's Voice. Um, so it just has four simple steps. The first is to come with a question, come to God with a question. And this isn't like a yes, no question or a what should I do ABC kind of question. This is a heart question. So he suggests things like, um, God, how do you feel about me? Like come with that kind of a question or what do you want to tell me today? Just come with an open, open open-ended question. God, how do you feel about me? I did that uh, this exercise with a group of elementary school girls. God, how do you feel about me? Oh my goodness. What beautiful things the Lord said to answer that question. What do you want to tell me today? What's breaking your heart today? What do you want me to pay attention to today? Just an open-ended question like that. So first come with a question. Second, um, quiet yourself. Quiet yourself. That's hard to do in our world. And there's two types of noise. There's external noise and there's internal noise. So first we quiet the external noise. What's the biggest source of noise in our life? Our phone. So turn your phone on. Do not disturb. Put it in a box. Get it away. Quiet the external noise. Maybe put on some music that you like. There's some great... um you know, three-hour soaking prayer music on iTunes or Spotify. Just, like, put on some quiet music. Quiet the external noise. And then work on quieting the internal noise. A lot of times when we try to go to pray and listen for God, all that comes up is all the things that are just, like, we've been suppressing them, all the anxieties, all the to-do lists, and they kind of pop up to the surface. And so one suggestion is just um, take a piece of paper and write down the things that are bugging you. And promise yourself, when I'm done with this exercise, I will pay attention to that list, right? Like, just get them out on paper so that they're not bugging you as you're trying to still yourself. So you're quieting the external noise, quieting the internal noise. Third, we fix the eyes of our heart on Jesus. And that simply means just whatever way is helpful for you to begin to allow your soul to focus on the person of Jesus. And so one way that you can do this, um, and this is what I do with kids, is to uh, practice imaginative prayer. This is something called the Ignatian Colloquy, but it basically is this idea that we invite the Holy Spirit to inspire our imagination. So as we have quieted the external noise and the internal noise, we actually picture taking a walk with Jesus or sitting with Jesus and begin to have a conversation from that place of concretely imagining the person of Jesus by our side. And I, with children who are abstract are not abstract thinkers, right? They're concrete thinkers. Sometimes prayer can feel a little nebulous. Like who, where am I, who am I talking to? The practice of imaginative prayer for kids is incredibly grounding because they can picture I'm having a personal conversation with Jesus. So you can picture Jesus in your imagination Um, you can use like a holding cross or something to sort of uh, remind yourself, like I'm holding on to Jesus. You can do a breath prayer where you're just inviting, um, the Lord to fill you as you breathe. 
So whatever is helpful for you to begin to fix your eyes, the eyes of your heart on Jesus. So come with a question, quiet yourself, fix your heart on Jesus. And then simply the last step is listen to the thoughts and ideas that are coming into your mind because the Holy Spirit can speak to us from within our own hearts and God's voice. A lot of times I think believers are so quick to um, identify that the enemy lies to us with our own thoughts, but we have a harder time sometimes identifying that the Holy Spirit also speaks to us through our own thoughts. And so we just begin to pay attention to the thoughts that are coming through our mind and we write them down and we trust that the Holy Spirit is able to speak from within our own thoughts. And then the last step is simply to test it. We test what we hear in prayer against scripture. If it contradicts scripture, it's not from the Lord. But if it lines up with scripture and it sounds like God, we trust it. We trust that God is able to speak to us from within our own hearts and within our own thoughts. And so this practice um, has been just incredibly helpful for me personally um, as I've grown in my ability to discern God's voice. But also, again, I just it has been transformative in how I think about the discipleship of children because I think kids, um, again, we often sort of, and I, I trust that you may have a different approach, but many, many uh, churches in the West sort of uh, pump kids full of information about God and expect that uh, intimate back and forth two-way conversation with God is something for adults. And we absolutely have to trust that if uh, human beings are able to communicate with God at all, it's not that we've reached some level of, of kind of intellectual ability to understand God. It's that God has stooped to communicate with us. And if he stoops this far, he can absolutely stoop to a child or an infant. All right. So to wrap this all up. So 10 years after that horrible camp experience of writing one-sided letters, I met another boy. Um, I met Greg and um, Greg lived in Washington state and I lived over here in Rhode Island and um, we didn't have cell phones. We did have email. Um, but uh, for an entire year, we wrote letters to each other and um, I wrote him a letter and he would write me back. <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, for an entire year until he moved out here, we communicated in, we also talked on the phone, but we wrote letters and it was this way of, um, yeah, just getting to know each other long distance. It was incredible. I have them all saved in my basement, but there, there was something in that two way communication that really, even despite the distance built our intimacy so that by the time he moved here, um, we had a, a well-established relationship. And so that is um, a picture for me of, yeah, if you want if you want to grow in your intimacy with God, it's got to be that two-way conversation. We want to speak to God. We want to be honest with God, pour our hearts out, but then give God the space to speak back. And so if that's something relatively new for you, I want to encourage you to start with that question, God, how do you feel about me? To start there, because that question, um, that's a transformative question. What do we know about how God feels about us? So I want to pray for you and then pass it off to Sarah. 
God, thank you that you are one who wants to be known by us. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus, in your word, and that you have sent us the spirit that we might know you. We might be in constant connection with you. God, thank you for the access that you have given to you. Lord, we pray that we would grow in our ability to hear your voice, to know your voice, to obey your voice. Lord, and I pray for each person in this room, but also for the kids, God, at this church, that they would be um, growing up knowing your voice as sure as they know their parents' voices. Lord, would you teach us how to recognize from within our own hearts, within our own thoughts, the voice of the Holy Spirit, speaking in your voice through our own spirits. Lord, we recognize and grow um, in our ability to know what you're saying, to love your voice, to have that sense that, yeah, it nourishes us and sustains us. Father, would that be our bread? Would that be our sustenance? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.